Do you know what you're listening to? And now, ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to the Snowman in the Morning podcast. Did you not get the memo? Insanity ensues. Can't wait. Okay. There is something in the air, and it's called the playoffs. Wait a minute. Playoffs? You kidding me? Playoffs? Yes, if you can believe it, the NFL is grinding toward its playoff season. And unbelievably, unbelievably, it sounds like it's going to go off without a hitch. And to help me break down this confusing, crazy playoff puzzle is Ryan Dunn from One and Done Radio. How are you, my friend? I'm good, Snowman. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing good. Until I looked at this playoff puzzle. How the hell did we get here? <laughs> uh, 16 weeks of football at that point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's start with the wild card spots, and we're going to start in the NFC. The Rams, the Bears, if you can believe that, and the Cardinals racing for for some wild card spots. The Rams clinch with a win or a Bears loss. The Bears clinch with a win or a Cardinals loss, which put the Cardinals in the best position. All they have to do is win, but will they? Your thoughts on the NFC wild card race? I think when you look at it, I think you got to look at the Cardinals. Personally, it depends on the health of Kyler Murray. Um, obviously, he had a leg injury at the end of the last game they played. Jared Goff is not going to be playing for the Rams in that game. So, personally, I think that's going to be the – my opinion, I think the Cardinals win there. And I think that's going to be the closest thing that could happen because if Kyler well, – only if it's – only if Kyler Murray plays. I don't think if he plays, I don't think they win the game. I think the Rams' defense is very good to shut down an offense without Kyler Murray. So I think – I know the Bears, you know, they play the Packers. I get that. But I really just think that the Cardinals is going to be like, – if they win that game, I think that's, that's it for them that they're going to be in over the Bears at that point. You know, I'm going totally the opposite way of what my brain is telling me. But I go back to 2010 when the Bears had a chance to eliminate the Packers from the playoffs. Of course, the Packers went on to win the Super Bowl, and they didn't get the, they didn't get it done. And they're playing the Packers again this time. Revenge is on the mind of the Bears, and I say the Bears get it done. I think the Bears will come out as the wild card winners. But then again, in the immortal words of one Chris Berman, that's why they play the games. Now the race for Home field advantage in the NFC. The Packers, the Saints, and the Seahawks. The Packers can clinch with a win or a Seattle loss. Oh, boy, don't say that to me. The Saints can clinch with a win plus a Green Bay loss plus a Seattle win. The Seahawks have to get pluses as well. Uh, New Orleans loss plus a Green Bay loss. And I, I think I know which way you're going to lean, so let's just go ahead and get it. The Packers have the simplest path to home field advantage the simplest path against a team they've had a plenty of success against obviously early in the year Trubisky played awful against them and I think we can look at the Packers they are now Rodgers plays is coming up a phenomenal game against the Titans the other night you know a very snowy outing 
and when you when you throw home field advantage in front of a team, tell them you're basically saying, "Hey guys, we're going to be have a whole next week off." I mean, obviously you practice, but mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying. There's no game. You get a whole week to rest up. They're going to go and try and win that game and against the Bears team. Now, granted, the Bears are hot. They've actually had – it's weird to say, but they've had it put like 30-plus point games in the past, like, what, three or four games. Yes. So the Bears are hot. But, yes, if, if the Saints are going to get it, obviously they need help. If the Seahawks get it, they obviously need help. But I think the Packers know with a Rodgers quarterback who is playing – we talked about the other day, and he is playing yep. at least at an MVP-type level. That he is. He's going to go to Chicago against their arch rival to see a home field advantage for them. And why Why not? When you have it, why not go get it? Right. It's it's right there. It, it, it's right there in front of them. As much as I'd love to see the Bears pull the upset, I'll, I'll talk about it on my picks on, on, on Friday. Now the race for the NFC least, er, East title. The, the uh, scenarios are as follows. The Redskins clinch with a win. There's your simplest path. The Cowboys clinch with a win plus a Redskins loss. And the Giants clinch with a win plus a Redskins loss. Figure this out for me, will you please? So, personally, I think out of all three of those teams, and first off, I'm not happy that either one of those are going to be in the playoffs, but that's a different story. Um... When I look at those three teams, I look at probably the Cowboys as the team to come out because I look at the Eagles, and I think the Eagles against Washington is they're going to have motivation. Like Jalen Hurts is going to have motivation to go and try and play a good game. Doug Peterson is going to want to go and have a good game with Jalen Hurts at quarterback. Washington, you know, releasing Dwayne Haskins. Don't even know if you're going to have Alex Smith at quarterback. There's talks of like he's officially out or – Maybe he's out. There's always talks, so you never know who's going to be the quarterback for Washington. But I think the Cowboys right now. Andy Dalton had a good few games. They're playing pretty good. They get they come up a win against the Eagles. They beat the 49ers. They beat the Bengals. Last three games, they've been pushing for a fight for the playoff for that NFC least title. And I like them to actually come out of the NFC East with the win because I think. I think personally, I'm, I know we haven't done picks yet, but I'm picking Philadelphia to beat Washington this weekend, and I'm picking the Cowboys to beat the Giants this weekend as well. Mm. You're not making me smile this morning. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. This, this is why we have these. This is why we have these conversations, folks. It's 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 all fun. We're going to do more of this, and I may have to invite Ryan to do some picks this weekend. Now let's go to the AFC, and the only thing we know about the AFC is that the road to Tampa goes through Kansas City. Let's talk in it. Let's talk AFC South. Two teams: Colts, Titans. Colts need a win, and one of the following: a Tennessee loss, Baltimore loss, Cleveland loss, and Miami loss to clinch the South or to uh, clinch the playoffs. I beg your pardon. Well, my wife's awake this morning. She's picking the Colts. I'm picking the Colts. Titans win or a Baltimore loss or a Colts loss or a Miami loss. The Dolphins need to win. They need to win or get a loss from either Baltimore or Cleveland or Indianapolis. 
The Ravens need a win or a loss from Cleveland or Indianapolis. Huh, I'm tongue-tied. Or you get the Browns. They need a win plus a loss from Indianapolis or Tennessee. Plus, they need Baltimore to win. Plus, Indianapolis to win. Plus, Miami to win. What? Who comes up with yeah, these there's scenarios? That, uh, there's... <laughs> there's a lot out there. There's a lot out there. And uh, I think if you look at the, probably all the matchups of this past weekend, of this upcoming weekend, excuse me, you're looking at the Colts versus the Jaguars. Now, granted, the Jaguars' only win this year is against the Colts. Again, but don't, don't remind Colts. me. <laughs> uh, trust me, I don't want to talk about it either. <laughs> but when you, look at, when you look at the Colts overall, coming off a disappointing game against the Steelers, but a very you know they're playing they're playing well at the right time. Mm-hmm. I don't expect them to lose that game to Jacksonville. Bills versus the Dolphins. It's an interesting game because you're wondering what the Bills really care about. Do they care about uh, being a number two seed, or does it does it not bother them to be number three? Because if you don't care about winning this game, you can rest your starters and possibly be number three. And is that what you care about, or do you want to be two? So, if the Bills are going to try and be number two seed. I picked the Bills to beat the Dolphins, but again, you want to find out what's going to happen. Ravens versus the Bengals. I mean, I got to go with the Ravens in mm-hmm. that game. I don't see why Bengals have been playing good lately, but Ravens are on a, on a mission right now. And Browns and Steelers, Steelers seem like they're going to just rest their starters. They named Mason Rudolph the starting quarterback, which is pretty funny because it's against the Browns. We all know what happened last year with the Browns and Mason Rudolph. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> you just hope that does not happen again, obviously, but the Browns could be in favor, obviously, to win that game. So there's so many scenarios that person. I think, like, you know me, I root for the Colts and I want the Colts in the playoffs yes. deeply, but yes. they really shot themselves in the foot this past weekend against mm-hmm. the Steelers. But, I think really when you look at all the games of what it takes, it's going to take – I mean, I know Tennessee plays Houston. I, I honestly – I expect Tennessee to win that game, but Houston may come out inspired, especially after J.J. Watt and that – and that. Uh, oh, yeah. J.J. Watt that speech he had the other day. That was a good speech. I love that. Um, I that, that Dolphins and Bills game is probably going to be the one for the Colts to really make because if the Bills beat the Dolphins, now Colts – should be in at that point, but it's going to. Like, it's sad that now they need the help. <laughs> that they really need the help because if, if everyone wins out, that's supposed to be Titans win, uh, Dolphins win, Ravens win, and Browns win. Colts are done. It doesn't matter. Yeah, <laughs> and I don't want that at all. Especially after the inspiration I just got from my beautiful wife this morning. I want to see the Colts in the playoffs, doggone it, and I'm going to pull for it. So I'm putting one of my picks on the table already. I picked the Colts at the top of the season to win the AFC South. And wouldn't you know it, just like two years ago, it's coming down to the Colts and the Titans. I wish it were a head-to-head matchup. They split this year. Uh, Indianapolis won in Tennessee, and then Tennessee returned the favor at Lucas Oil Stadium. But I still think back to last week in Pittsburgh, up 24-7. to And then the Steelers get three unanswered touchdowns to win the game, which took the fate of the playoffs out of the Colts' hands. That situation, like you said, I really wish it would come down to week 17, winner goes to the playoffs, loser's done. Like That would have been a great matchup. Unfortunately, it just 
scheduling did not work out this year for that uh, scenario to happen because I think everyone it's always nice when that last game of the season really means something. I think the NFL has been working towards having that happen. Obviously, uh, past years and now they're going to have that happen more in the future, but it really is sad that because you know me, I want these Colts in the playoffs too. I want to see what Rivers does, what the defense does, and Jonathan Taylor, personally, I think he's starting to come into his own as a running back. Right. I would love to see him in the playoffs as well, but you know, the Colts are, like you said, I think when you look back on this season, whether the Colts, if the Colts miss the playoffs, you're going to look at that Steelers game because that was it. Like, you had the chance to hold that lead and you couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can look at other games and other losses as well. Even the first game of the season against the Jaguars where if they would have won that game, they'd be, they'd be fine as well. But you, it's all about what you've done for me lately. And lately, you lost against the Steelers with a 24-7 lead where if you would have won that game, you wouldn't have much to worry about this weekend. Right. Right. Wouldn't have a thing to worry about had they held on against Pittsburgh, but they did not. And now we got the craziest the, the craziest of crazy situations as we head toward the playoffs. Well, that's how we look at the puzzle. How do you look at it? Tweet the show at official SIT Morn. If you haven't followed already, please do so. If you haven't followed Ryan Dunn, please do so at one Dunn D U N N E Radio. We're trying to solve this puzzle for you. We're trying to do so. Ryan Dunn joining me to help figure this thing out. Thanks a lot, my friend. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. No problem, snowman. I hope the puzzle works out for us both. Yes, I hope it does also. Headlines are next after the break. Beamer Tire and Auto Repair. Now with three locations across the triad in High Point, Greensboro, and our new location in Kernersville. Beamer Tire and Auto offers full service auto repair, all tire brands, free alignment checks, oil changes, and more. In Kernersville, check out the no appointment needed quick lube shop. Check out their thousands of five star ratings via Google and Yelp. They care because they know that you can go anywhere. So try a shop with a beating heart, not a bottom line. Beamer Tire and auto repair. Visit us on Facebook or at BeamRetire.com. The latest edition of Snowman in the Morning continues. Thank you all for joining us. And to help get you through this edition, I have Connor O'Neill with me to talk all things to talk all things ACC and especially Wake Forest's appearance in the Duke Mayo Bowl. What's up, Connor? Not much. Uh, getting getting ready to, to put a put a pin in this season for the Deeks. Yes, indeed. The offensive backfield was anchored all season by a two-headed monster of Christian Beal Smith and Kenneth Walker the third. The pair split carries throughout the season, but Walker had thirteen touchdowns to four for Christian Beal Smith. Walker opted out of the season before the Louisville game. Can Christian Beal Smith carry the bulk of the running game against Wisconsin? Um, he's probably going to have to handle a little more than he's been handling with uh, when Kenneth was going, but I don't think it should all be on Christian. Um, they have a freshman, Justice Ellison, who looked really good on a couple carries against Louisville. Um, he's been kind of slowly coming along and then with Walker opting out, they pressed him into, into a lot more important snaps and he, he looked, he looked fine against Louisville. So 
yeah, it'll it'll probably be closer to a seventy thirty split. Um with with Christian getting the bulk, but but I don't think you have to throw him out there for for every snap, and especially, I mean, you you can't really throw a running back out there for every single snap uh, when you when you run your offense as fast as Wake does. Sophomore quarterback Sam Hartman leads a strong passing attack. Just ask North Carolina. The third year starter threw his first interception of the year in the final game against Louisville. He has nineteen hundred six yards and ten touchdowns to just one interception. Talk about the growth of Sam Hartman this year for Wake Forest. Yeah, the growth has been in, in how much he's been able to take care of the football. Um, one, I think his biggest problem as a freshman uh, back in 2018 was he would always seem to have two or three plays every game where he'd just try to do way too much and try to make some kind of play happen that might happen occasionally in high school and it would make a hero out of you and, and you'd look like you were, you know, the best football player on the field. Uh, and you just can't get away with that kind of stuff in the ACC. Um, and he's he's all but eliminated those types of plays from his game. I mean, I think he had two interceptions in the Louisville game and one of them was off of a, a tip pass that should have been caught by Jafari Roberson. Uh, and so... You know, even even one of his turnovers this year wasn't necessarily his all his fault. So that's really it's it's been really helpful for Wake's offense. I mean, they're number one in the country still in turnover margin. Uh, I think it's plus thirteen or plus fourteen. So it's it was a step that Sam needed to take. I mean, this was going to be a pretty bad offense if he was still doing that kind of thing. And now that he hasn't, the offense has clicked at a higher level than, than I think I thought it would this year. Yeah, it has. I mean, look at let's look back at the game against North Carolina that went, you know, for the most part, back and forth and back and forth. You know, Wake Forest had a big lead at that time. Pick a couple of games from the season where you could instantly see the maturation of Sam Hartman. Yeah, I mean, even though they lost that North Carolina game, I think that's one that you you have to look at. Um, he he played so well uh, on the road, and, and North Carolina's defense wasn't scaring anybody this year. But but that's a game that you know, I think it it probably hurt Sam a little bit that he wasn't able to be a part of of last year's win against North Carolina. I mean, that's a game that every player on Wake's roster got up for last year and got up for this year. And so he could have easily come out and been trying to make too much happen, be trying to fit throws into windows that just weren't open. But he wasn't. He was he was calm and cool and collected and, and played really well in that game. Um, you know, the game up at Syracuse, too, uh, was, was a dominant win for Wake. Uh, it was a game where the running game got going, but the, the thing that opened it up was the long touchdown pass to Jacory Roberson uh, down the left sideline. and That was a play that Sam made where he's just scrambling around and trying to find somebody. And, you know, instead of bailing or instead of just tucking it and running, he's able to keep the play alive and find Jacory Roberson downfield for a for game-changing touchdown at that point. Wait, so it, it's he, – he's a – he's – He's now a two-year starter. He's been in college for three years, and 
Wake has three more years of eligibility with Sam if he wants to take them all. So he, he is, if he stays on the upward trajectory that he's on, uh, you know, we can make jokes all we want about how many records he's going to break and, and all that kind of stuff, but they're going to win some games if he stays on this trajectory, and I think that's the more important part of the, the discussion here. Wake Forest comes in with the third-best scoring offense in the ACC at 37 points per game. Meanwhile, the Wisconsin defense ranks second in the Big Ten with 15 points allowed this year. The offense is 12th with just 22 points per game, talking Wisconsin, including three games of one touchdown or less, including one in a loss to Northwestern. Something has to give here. What would you put your money on, a slugfest or a shootout? Yeah, it's, it's definitely strength on strength with Wake's offense against Wisconsin's defense. Um, honestly, I would I would lean toward this being a, a slugfest and a, a low scoring type of game. Um, wouldn't wouldn't surprise me to see one team scoring in the twenties and the other one in the teens. Uh, I just think that you know Wake has played one game in the last month and a half and. It was a loss to a to a not that great Louisville team. Um, you know, you you hate to to take the twenty thousand foot view of Wake season before the season is over, but it's hard to escape feeling like this team really hit its apex in October with going four and zero in October with a win against Tech with uh, the, the blowout up at Syracuse the you know, win against Virginia looked like it was a, a season-altering game, and then they just get struck by the shutdown after they blow a lead at North Carolina. And, you know, it just it feels like that was when Wake was rolling. And with, with one game in six weeks, I don't know how likely they are to recapture it for, for this last gasp at the end of the season. This shutdown, did, 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 do you think – it took a lot of momentum away from them, especially after the undefeated month in October. I think it, it no question. Um, you know, they're going to be playing a Duke team that, that they were going to be up for. I mean, it's, it's a Duke team that, you know, Wake makes a huge deal out of playing in state rivals. And so that Duke game, was going to be a big one because Wake went 3-0 and against the in-state rivals last year and went 0-2 this year. They were looking at being swept by the in-state rivals if they didn't beat Duke. Um, you know, it might not have shown up in the wins and losses because those games against Miami and Notre Dame were, were always looking like they were going to be pretty tough. But I think that those would have been really big challenges that Wake would have would have used. I mean, they, they would have, uh, they would have been helpful to play those games. It would have been helpful to, to provide a measuring stick and they just didn't get those. They, you know, it's, these are the times we're in, but, um, it just, I, I think it really hurt this team to have to press the pause button and just keep pressing the pause button over and over again. until they finally got back on the field against Louisville and then, they're supposed to have a game against Florida State, and that gets pulled from out from from under them. So it's it's kind of hard to 
kind of hard to evaluate this season for Wake at this point. Yeah, it really is. Wake Forest head coach Dave Clawson, 3-1 and one in bowls with the program, only losing last year in a good fight against Michigan State in the Pinstripe Bowl. How important has Clawson been to the Wake Forest program over the past four or five years in terms of stabilizing the program? Oh, my gosh. Um, you know, I mean, Jim Grobe had had Wake – with this magical season in 2006, um, it's an ACC championship that nobody will ever be able to take away from, from that team or from Jim Grove. And there was some, some sustained success afterward, uh, with a couple of bowl games, but you know, this is the first time that Wake last year was the first time wake went to four straight bowls. Now this makes it five straight bowls. Um, Wake has a chance to have a winning record for a fifth straight season if they beat Wisconsin. The last time Wake had five straight seasons with a winning record uh, was at the end of World War II. It was 1944 to 48. So this, I, I don't think you can say enough about uh, how stable of a program Dave Clawson is, has created here in, in Winston-Salem. It's not like he inherited a train wreck that was coming off NCAA sanctions or, or something like that. But, but it was just, you know, it was kind of directionless there at the end of Jim Grove's era. Um, the recruiting had dipped a little bit. And, you know, it's not like Dave's going out and getting top 25 classes, but the players he brings in are developmental pieces that more often than not, the developmental pieces develop into really good players. And you can win games in the ACC with really good players when they're in their third, fourth, and fifth seasons. Um, and now you're looking at next year, and, and you're starting to get ahead of yourself here, but you're looking at having a bunch of guys in their sixth season because a lot of the seniors on this year's team kind of feel like they were cheated out of the, the college experience and the mm-hmm. college football experience this year, and they're going to be back next year. So, you know, it's it's still all about the – the Duke's Mayo Bowl at this point, but you know, once the clock hits zero in the fourth quarter, it's going to be a pretty quick transition to, to being really optimistic about what Wake can look like next year. And not only that, taking a look at this year, the players love playing for Coach Clawson. It just seems like they really came together outside of the pause and the times they had to keep pressing the pause. They really love playing for him. Yeah, um, you certainly get that impression. Um, you know, we we talked a little bit today with players about a team only meeting um, that they were they were going through some frustration when it was paused. Um, they were, you know, it was, it was wonder it was it got to the point where guys I think were wondering if it was still worth it to be playing the season. And the leadership of the team got together and, and basically said we didn't come here in in June or July. To, to just play seven games or play eight games. Um, they, they wanted to put their stamp on a season and have more of a season. You know, strong leadership, it it develops, it matriculates through the program, but it also, it, it's developed because of coaching. And and we've been able to see that. I mean, this is Dave Clawson's seventh season, so he's not coaching any players that he didn't recruit at this point. So it's, it's really a test. The, the leadership of this team is really a testament to Dave Lawson and his staff. 
Connor O'Neill joining me to talk all things Wake Forest Bowl football. You can catch them in action against Wisconsin at the Duke's Mayo Bowl in Charlotte, 12 noon today. Have fun, Connor, and Happy New Year. Thanks, Brian. You too. Follow Connor online at Connor O'Neill N-O-O. And I'm going to be checking out that game, too, because it's a game that I may get a chance to cover next year and beyond. I figure I'm here in North Carolina. Why not? I'll put a pin in that game myself and see what happens when Wisconsin, when the irresistible force meets the immovable object. The irresistible force is Wake Forest's offense. The immovable object, the Wisconsin defense. Let's see what happens. Back in a flash. We continue on with the program by welcoming Eric Summers. You can follow him on Twitter at Tater596. He's the editor of TatScratchReader.com, one of the top sources for Carolina Panthers news and analysis on the web. And he's with me right now on the Beamer Tyrant Auto Hotline. Eric, how are you, my friend? Uh, you know, I'm doing pretty good. How are you? I'm doing good. Counting down to the new year. Great to have you on the program. And before we get to the Panthers, let's talk about former Panther quarterback Cam Newton, who has struggled mightily this season in his first season as the Patriots starter. And on Monday versus the Bills, 5 of 10, 34 yards, 4 rushes, 24 yards. He was pulled for Jared Stidham with 8.21 remaining in the third quarter and the Bills leading 31 to 9. Has this season been a glimpse of the end of Cam Newton as a starting quarterback in the league, or is it more of a lack of wide receivers and playmakers in New England this season post-Tom Brady? Well, I don't think it's the end for Cam Newton. I don't think it's that's that by any stretch of the word. I mean, he came out of the gates firing this season, um, and I think as as some teams around the league got some tape on the Patriots offense, they kind of were able to pick up really quick what they needed to do to stop them. Because, like you said, huge talent dearth up there in New England, probably the worst um, set of pass-catching weapons in the entire NFL. Um, we've seen Cam do more with less in that regard in the past, notably when the Panthers made a Super Bowl run. But I would say that even – when he had Ted Ginn Jr. and Jericho Kotri as his top targets back then, he still probably had a better complement of weapons than he has right now in New England. I mean, when you look through New England's roster, you're not, you don't see any names that you really hardly even know or even really that scared of. I mean, it's kind of a, he wasn't really given that chance to succeed, quote unquote. And I mean, I know that's kind of a broken record as we kind of had a similar situation in Carolina, but I think if they don't re-sign him next year, I think if they try to draft a quarterback or whatever it is they do up there, um, we'll see somebody else pick him up. I think he showed enough early in the season that he can still be a quarterback in this league. I just don't know if he will ever go to a team that's going to consider him the guy anymore. Your thoughts on the Panthers releasing general manager Marty Herney. Was the writing on the wall heading into this season that it would be his last Oh yeah. I mean, I think, I think the writing has not only been on the wall, I think they did it in paint. I mean, it, it's been, it's been a long time coming. I'm one of those fans that could not believe that he even survived the coach firing last year. Um, but I think maybe Tepper thought, well, 
he's got a year left on his contract. We could use a little bit of organizational stability. Um, so we'll keep him around for one more season. Um, it was fairly plain for me to see that this draft was more of the influence of Coach Rule than it was of him. Uh, so it, it's been pretty obvious to me for a long time. And I would say it's probably a relief to many fans, myself included, uh, to see the last trace of that Jerry Richardson era be erased. Um, I think we're, we're ready to move on. We've got a coach with a new philosophy that's going to help us move on. And uh, just seeing a new staff in that building in general, um, I think is something that's been sorely needed for this franchise for a long time. So I'm curious to see who they hire in that regard. Panthers offensive lineman Russell Okung made headlines this week by becoming the first player from any major U.S. sports league to be paid in Bitcoin. Do you expect? Do you even expect Okung to be on the roster with the Panthers next year? No, I don't. I mean, I think that's one of those things where he, he's got a first year. Um, I think he's probably going to retire, especially as much as he struggled with injuries this year. Um, you know, if they do get him back next year, it'll be at a, a minimal deal, I would think. I wouldn't value him in his current contract, not by any stretch of the word. Um, I think he will probably retire, and the Panthers expect that he'll probably retire. Um, so what I'm thinking for next season is we're yet again going to be in the market for a left tackle. No fans will be allowed at Bank of America Stadium for the season finale Sunday against the Saints. How much of an overall effect do you think no fans or no capacity attendance around the league has actually affected the product on the field itself in 2020? Uh, you know, the product has been better than I expected in many cases. I thought that playing in front of empty stadiums is really going to affect these guys, and I'm sure it does certain players more than it does others. There, there are some players out there that really feed off of that game day energy, and then I think there are others that have benefited from there not being a huge crowd out there. I think it's possible that the Panthers have maybe seen some additional, um, I don't know what you call it, additional performance from some of their rookies without so many crowds being, especially away crowds um, being present. You know, it kind of gave them a little bit of quiet. It's easier to get the calls in. It's easier to understand what your linebacker is telling you or what your other offensive linemen are telling you. Um, I think that was one of the few things that the Panthers really benefited from this season more than other teams since they kind of had a tire, um, an entire group changeover they were able to communicate very clearly without there being uh, fans in the stands and a bunch of noise. So um, I didn't see as much of an impact as I thought I would. Um, I expected at first I thought that COVID was going to ruin the season completely, but in the end it didn't. I mean, there were definitely some weeks where it hurt us. I mean, the Packers game might be very different uh, if we had everybody on the field for that one, uh, but and the Broncos game, certainly, but you know, I, I think overall it hasn't been that bad. I'm still looking forward to getting back to an NFL game. Same here. Same here. Curtis Samuel had a career day against Washington last Sunday with 158 career-high yards from scrimmage, 106 receiving, 52 rushing. He's turned into a jackknife of sorts in Joe Brady's offense. Can the Panthers keep Samuel in free agency at the end of the season, or more to the point, should they? Well, I think they're going to try. I mean, I would hope that given what we've seen out of him this season, they're going to give it a shot. Um, it really depends on what his demands are. Um, if you're asking if there are other players signed than Curtis Samuel, there are. I think we absolutely have to lock up Taylor Moten. I think that has to be priority number one. 
Um, but if you, if you ask me about a second priority as far as re-signing this offseason, it would probably be Curtis Samuel. Um, I think what they're going to try to do, uh, they'll try to sell him on a, you know, not, not necessarily a top 10 contract. And I don't think he has earned that, but you know, he's going to want to get paid low end wide receiver one money, high end wide receiver two money. Um, and he probably deserves that after as good a year as he has had, especially given some of the Panthers struggles with Teddy Bridgewater being able to fire that thing deep. Um, I think he has benefited from the absence of Christian McCaffrey on a lot of his stats because um, he's kind of been that little bit of, like you said, a jackknife uh, for the offense. But I think they're going to try to retain him. I think they should retain him. The question is, can they make it work? And that's going to be up to the new general manager to decide. Speaking of making it work, how do the Panthers make it work with Teddy Bridgewater heading into 2021? Well, I think at this point, uh, he's definitely a quarterback next year. Um, whether he has a rookie waving in the wings or not, we're basically locked into him through next season. After that, his contract is pretty friendly to us. So uh, I could definitely see him being the starter entering next season. And if we draft the quarterback, it's possible that he may not end the season as the starter. But I do think that he was brought in for two reasons. He was brought in because he had potential to be a starting quarterback in this league, one that was an impact player. Uh, I think as the season has gone along, we haven't really seen that materialize. But he was also seen as a guy who was a steady hand, a good locker room influence, generally a person that will learn and will you know, be somebody that everybody will listen to. Um, I think he still does that. I think he's a good, what you call, you know, fence minder. Um, so I think regardless of what happens in the off season, I believe that we will enter week one with Teddy Bridgewater as our quarterback, but we, he may not be the starter for the entire year. It really depends on what we decide to do in the draft. Eric Summers joining me here. Follow him on Twitter at Tater596. He's the editor of CatchScratchReader.com. One of the top sources for Carolina Panthers news and analysis on the web. Now let's get to the season finale. It's the New Orleans Saints, the NFC South champions. It's a 425 kickoff in Charlotte. Saints are battling with Green Bay and Seattle for the NFC's number one seed. And only the one seed receives a bye in the playoffs. So you can expect the Saints will be playing all of their starters. Give me three keys to the Panthers pulling out a victory and erasing what happened last year in Charlotte against New Orleans. It's going to be a tough one, man. I, I, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you that. Uh, it's not going to be an easy game for Carolina, but as we have seen this year, this team has that weird ability to hang in just about every game, so you really can't write them off at all. I would say the three keys, um, can we get decent protection out of whoever is playing left tackle on Sunday? Um, that's going to be the big one since Trent Scott is now out for the rest of the year. We're going to be playing a either a left tackle that's never started a game in the NFL before or a guy who's actually a guard and in Michael Schofield and seeing if he can hold up. Uh, if this past week against the Redskins is any indication, he probably can't hold up. Um, so, but they will need to scheme their way around. Uh, basically a poor protection model. They're going to have to go max protect and just hope that somebody can get open. Uh, I would say that would be the first key. The second key, uh, they're going to have to get pressure. I mean, you know, it's something that they've had to do 
all year. Uh, we're going to have to hope that Brian Burns is feeling a little bit more healthy than he was this past week. And we're going to have to hope they get after the quarterback. And the third key, uh, they're going to have to play good defense. They're going to have to be strong in the secondary. Uh, obviously, we can't really gauge much based on what we saw against the Redskins because, let's face it, that Redskins offense was the biggest dumpster fire I have watched in a long, long time uh, on Sundays. And that's really the only reason we won that game. Uh, so I don't think we're going to see that against the Saints. So the defense is just going to have to play a better game than they did against the Redskins or against anybody, really, that they've played this year. Uh, things have gotten better. Our rookies are starting to show – well, not starting. Some of them have been showing some pretty good flashes for a while, but they're going to have to really step it up if we want to have any prayer of winning a game where the Saints have everything to play for and we have nothing to play for. That's Eric Summers, the editor of CatScratchReader.com. Follow him on Twitter and online at Tater596. A pleasure to have you on again, my friend, and thanks for your help and coverage throughout the course of the season. Absolutely. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you, my friend. Thank you. All right. See you later. Headlines are next after this.